aren't you glad that heaven is a real place? It's true, there really is a place called heaven. My dad was a pastor, as I mentioned this morning, and preached for many, many years, and uh, my dad uh, got Alzheimer's. Dementia is a terrible, terrible disease. I wouldn't wish it on anyone, and, uh, but my father went through that experience, and uh, through the years of his life, the latter part of the years of his life, of course, he got to where he didn't know anybody. We were familiar to him, but, you know, got to where he didn't call anybody's name, and and then the very last week of his life, uh, he laid most of that time unconscious and just, uh, you know, kind of in and out. And then uh, the, just shortly before he passed away, uh, my dad uh, looked around the room and you could tell he was looking for somebody. I said, Dad, you looking for somebody? He shook his head, yes. I said, who are you looking for? He said, Mom. I said, she's right there, Dad. She's right here at the head of the bed. I said, Mother, scoot down. He can't see you. And... Uh, he saw my mom and he raised up off the pillow and puckered up. I said, you want to kiss mom? He said, I said, all right, we can work that out. Drop that bed rail. My mother leaned over the bed. My dad uh, took the oxygen mask off of his face and he kissed my mother one last time, put his head back on the pillow. And a little while later, he was gone to heaven. Mother said, I don't care what anybody says. I think the Lord gave me a handful of purpose. He remembered me right at the end. And I'll tell you what a blessing it was. Heaven's real. I went to see my dad during that time. My aunt, uh, who just passed away, was with me. We walked in the room, and dad was just smiling. And I said, Dad, what you thinking about? He said, oh, can you hear that music? I said, no, I don't hear any music. It's the most beautiful music you ever heard. Well, then he started talking about his dad. and his, but Look, I'm not into a lot of people having weird circumstances. But he started telling me, he said, you know, my mom's there. My dad's there. They're doing fine. And he said, my daughter Karen was killed in a car wreck when she was 22, but she's there and everything's fine. My son Jeff was killed when his car fell on him. He was only 16, but he said, I've seen him, he's fine. I said, Dad, are you peeking over the other side? He said, I sure am, son, it's wonderful. What a blessing to know that heaven's real. I'm glad that it's not just a figment of our imagination. The Bible said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'm glad it's true. If you have your Bibles tonight, go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. What wonderful music we heard tonight in the congregation singing. Brother Jedediah, what a great, great song we heard a while ago. Man, I tell you, that was a blessing. And God has been so good to us. We ought to thank Him for His goodness. And we appreciate you tonight. And also, your pastor and his wife had us over to the house what a wonderful meal we had. I appreciate that. I am, I am trying, trying to watch what I eat. Um, I am trying to, you know, keep my weight under control and bring it down some and eating right. And the word diet is a horrible, horrible word. And, uh, you know, uh, but I'm trying. And, boy, I appreciate the wonderful meal, everything there that... Uh, you know, I could eat, and I was thankful for that, and uh, so I, I do appreciate that, and just enjoyed the fellowship, and uh, so trying to behave myself, and uh, pray that I'll do that. Uh, somebody said, why would you announce you're on a diet? It forces me to remember, because uh, it's not my nature, I don't mind to tell you. I'm uh, just really uh, diligently trying to take care of myself, 
and uh, you know eat right and all that good stuff. Second uh, Samuel chapter six. I'm going to preach tonight for a few moments on this thought. Now, what do we do? David had failed in attempting to bring the ark back. If you remember the ark of God, which represented for Israel the presence of God, and by the way, sadly, they had lost sight of who God was, and they began to look at the object rather than God, and as a result of that, uh, God allowed the enemy to take the ark of the covenant away from them. It fell into the hands of the Philistines, and well, that was a fiasco as the Philistines didn't know what to do with it. Finally, they wanted to get rid of it, and And uh, David, when he became king, and by the way, with a good thought, with great intentions, he wanted to bring the ark of God back to Israel. And I don't fault him for that. I don't criticize him for that. But can I tell you something? When we want to do something, we've got to do it God's way. You know, there's a lot of churches today and even a lot of preachers today that get the idea that, man, there's such a great need in our world and and in the zeal of wanting to maybe get the gospel out or maybe trying to reach people, begin to think, well, you know, I know what the Bible says, but maybe we could get more people if we would just, you know, maybe throw doctrine out. Could I just say that doesn't work? You may gather a crowd, but you won't see people get the real thing. Doctrine is important. Truth is important. And so David decided to bring the ark back and without inquiring of the Lord, without really getting God's mindset on it, without taking time to read what it was required to move the ark of God, he got this great idea about putting the ark on a cart and bringing it back. And you know what happened as a result of that. And and so David is uh, wanting to bring it back. They have, as a result of it, uh, he's now reevaluating the whole situation. Uh, you remember Uzzah's dead, and, uh, and what was the desire to bring back the Ark of the Covenant of God uh, had really, and bring the glory back to Israel, had really turned into a disaster. And so we find in, uh, let's, we're going to begin reading in verse number 9, uh, but by way of introduction, let me say this. We notice David's frustration in verse number 8. Let's pick up our reading there. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah, And he called the name of the place Perazuzah to this day. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How shall the ark of the Lord come to me? So David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him in the city of David, but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite. And the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite three months, and the Lord blessed Obed-Edom. And all his household. And it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. By way of introduction, we see there that David, of course, is very frustrated. He wanted to bring the ark back. It seemed like the right thing to do, but he went about it the wrong way. And you remember when the the cart shook and uh, Uzzah thought somehow he was going to keep the ark from falling. He reached out and touched it and God killed him. And boy, David was so overwhelmed. He just stopped what they were doing and and said, we've got to go to plan B. What are we going to do? He left the ark. Of course, as a result of David's fear, the Bible said in verse number 9, David feared the Lord. And by the way, you know, part of revival is really getting a renewal of a fear of God. 
And you know, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of God is essential. In Psalm 85, the psalmist said, Wilt thou not revive us again? And if you read that chapter, one of the things that God reminds us of, if we're going to have revival, is we need to fear the Lord. And uh, as we fear the Lord, let me say it's more than just someone says, Well, uh, it's a reverence and an awe of God. It is that, but it's so much more. We ought to revere God. We ought to recognize His presence but, but I'll tell you, if we really fear the Lord, it is a conscious awareness of His presence everywhere we go. Now, it's already been established that I have an honoriness about me. Now, you would think by now I'm getting better, and I think I am. I shared a few things this morning, but those go all the way back to childhood. Give me some grace. But anyway, my dad's presence always stepped my behavior up tremendously. You know, there were certain things that I did, but when Dad was in the room, I knew better. When I was a younger boy, I would go to my uh, cousin's house, and we would go see them about once a year. And uh, when we would go to their house, my cousin would get so frustrated because as soon as we left, his mother would start in on him. Why can't you be more like Ken? Why can't you? He's so polite. He, everything is yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, yes, sir, no, sir. What, why can't you be more like that? And he gets so frustrated because he knew the real me. Because when we go outside and play, I was just a 100% boy like he was. You say, well, Brother Graham, why did you have all of those courtesies and kindness when you were in your aunt's home? Because my dad was there and I knew what was expected. I knew that if I didn't behave myself, if I was uh, you know, not polite, I'd be in trouble. It all had to do with the presence of my dad. And uh, boy, I tell you, when dad stepped in the room, your behavior stepped up a notch. Well, you know, when I was outside, dad wasn't there. But can I tell you something? As a child of God, there isn't anywhere I go that the Lord isn't present with me. And we need a revival of the fear of the Lord. The fear of God would make a difference. So David fears the Lord, but then uh, David's findings. He leaves the ark of God in the house of a man by the no name of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. And by the way, uh, he's a Levite. And David uh, soon learns some amazing things that are happening at Obed-Edom's house. He leaves the ark of God. And, and i got to think about this. With Obed-Edom having the ark of God in his house having learned, of course, what happened with Uzzah, also having learned perhaps what happened uh, uh, to others and that uh, were blessed to see and to know the ark of God. Maybe uh, he was cautious. Maybe he said to his children, look, we've got the ark of God here. Uh, we better be careful uh, not to touch it. We better be careful to recognize it. And, and, and I don't have any idea what all instructions he gave. I don't think he took it lightly. As we read about him and his life and his family, I think that he took serious the blessings that he had had. Can I tell you something? As we heard the song a while ago, God's been so good to us and uh, we're blessed and, and all the things that we have, the wonderful country we live in, the fact that we have clothes on our, uh, our back and shoes on our feet. But can I tell you one of the most amazing things about that song is He's my shoulder to lean on. And listen, when you have a personal knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and He's your Savior and you know Him in your life, you are wise to recognize the value of living for Him and loving Him and serving Him and passing that on to your 
their children and saying to them, look, we have been so blessed children. God's been good to us. I want you to know the God that we serve uh, is faithful. When I was a boy growing up, my dad at one period of his ministry was in evangelism. And I can remember some of the things that went on in those days of evangelism. Many of the meetings back in those days were sometimes two weeks long and even every now and then three weeks long. And I can remember dad coming home from revival and, and uh, sometimes we would go if it was close enough. And back in those days, you know, <laughs> some of you young people don't realize that uh, my youngest daughter thinks when I say back in those days, she thinks I mean before the days of asphalt, the days before airplanes, but it wasn't that long ago. But, but many evangelists in those days, they didn't travel in motorhomes and, you know, pack their families up. And so now we might go if it was close enough, but sometimes dad would come in after being gone a couple weeks of meeting and well, I can remember the questions. We'd all sit down and start talking about the meeting and mom would ask about, you know, how the meeting went and, and I can remember sometimes dad would say, you know, it was a, really a slow start. That first week, it just seemed like it never did really break and then all of a sudden he'd say about Friday night, Saturday night, things started breaking loose and boy, God began to work and people started getting right and that next week folks started getting saved and I can remember dad sitting down and saying, you know, we had, uh, you know, 15 saved, had 30 saved, had, you know, 27 saved and I can remember as a boy hearing those reports and the exciting news and, and every once in a while I'd say it just never did break but I can remember sitting there as a boy and hearing that and then I can remember times of blessing when God would meet needs in our family. I said this morning I knew God was real because He'd answered too many prayers. Many years ago when, when our uh, first son was just a, a toddler and and uh, I believe we were expecting our second child, Brian. And I was in evangelism at that time in my life and ministry. And, and the month of December was the slowest month for an evangelist. I preached a couple times, but, but as far as preaching revivals, I didn't have any. And things got a little tight and, you know, the, the groceries began to get a little thin. And, and the fact is, my wife said to me, what no man wants to hear, we don't have anything else to eat. Now, I'm not talking about the teenage view of not having anything to eat. You know, teenagers walk in the house and they'll look through the cupboards that are absolutely filled with food. They'll open a refrigerator that's got food in it and say, there's nothing to eat in this house. And what they mean by that is there's nothing that I can grab and consume that would be prepared in 90 seconds. But when we said there was nothing in the house, there was nothing. Well, you know, I can go without eating, but you start thinking about your wife and your baby. And I begin to pray and I said, God, I, I need you to work. As I prayed that prayer, I knew that I would see my dad that day. And Brother Smith, I believe that if one of your children was in a tight and they didn't have any food in their house and you knew about it, you'd probably share your groceries. I know my dad would. And I said, uh, as I saw my dad that day, he said, Ken, how you doing? I said, I'm doing good. I didn't tell him that we didn't have any food in the house because I wanted God to work and I, I wanted God to meet the need. And uh, after I finished what I had going on that day, I got a phone call and I was asked to come out to my parents' house. There was a young man that said he needed to meet me and he didn't know where I lived, but he knew where my parents lived and he said, I'd like to meet you at your parents' house. So I had gone home, I picked up my 
uh, son, and he got in the car there and put him in as a toddler, and we went there. I was driving a 79 Chevy Impala at that time and, and drove to my parents' house, and, and the young man said, I'm from Rockford, Illinois. Billy Robertson's my pastor, and uh, our church took up a food shower. Now, in Arkansas, they call it a food pounding, but they took up a food shower uh, for evangelist Ken Graham, and I'm supposed to drop it off. I began to get the groceries out of that young man's car. I filled the trunk of my car. I filled the back seat and the floorboard in the back. And I had to put a couple sacks up by my son. And I'm telling you, my vehicle was loaded down with groceries. I will never forget it. I looked at my son who was just, I think, about 14, 15 months old at the time. And I said to him, Benjamin, you won't remember this. But I want you to know the God that my parents served is the same God that I served. And the God that took care of them is the same God that takes care of us. Why? Because I wanted him to know that we serve a real God that really does work and move and, and, and has something to do with his children. Brother Billy said later when the Lord put it on his heart to have a grocery uh, shower for us, he said, Lord, Brother Graham's a member of his dad's church. He probably doesn't need a thing. And the Lord said, you have your people do a grocery shower for evangelist Ken Graham. And both Brother Robertson and I realized God was working in both of our hearts to help us in a very special way. I said all that to say this. David left the ark at Obed-Edom's house. Three things I want to point out tonight. Number one, we see Obed-Edom's amazing discovery. In verses 11 and 12, the Bible said that David was afraid. And so in, in verse 11, the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And listen to this. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. God blessed him. He discovered by having it there that God would bless him. We see David's placement of the ark. He brought it to the home of Obed-Edom. Now, I, I don't know all the details. It may have been because of the closeness of where it was at. When I've been in Israel, they've taken us to the place that they identify as being approximately where Obed-Edom's home was at. And it's on the way up from where they would have gotten the ark to uh, where Jerusalem, of course, would be and where it was going to go. And, and if that was the place, it's pretty exciting to think about. We know it was somewhere in that area. And, and uh, you know, when you think about that, how exciting it must have been. And uh, I don't know about you, but I want to be the kind of home and I want my family to be the kind of family where God is always welcomed in our home. Amen. You see, God doesn't want to just be present in our home. He doesn't even just want to preside in our home. He doesn't even just simply want to be the president of our home. He wants to have the preeminence in our home. And Obed-Edom's home was a welcoming place to the presence of God. David's placement of the ark, and we see Obed-Edom's home, we see Obed-Edom's prosperity. The Bible said in verse 12 that as a result of it being there, it was told King David, saying, The Lord hath blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that pertaineth unto him because of the ark of God. So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. So we find that Obed-Edom's uh, prosperity was great in that God's presence was there and it changed everything about his home. By the way, the presence of God makes a difference. Mom and dad, it's easy if we're not careful to get in routines where, you know, we know we're supposed to read our Bible and we know we're supposed to pray and, and all of those things are right to do, but sometimes we can get in a rut and, 
we can kind of just, you know, get in a routine. We can kind of take for granted. And please hear me tonight. I'm not preaching about super phony spirituality, but I'm saying this. Our children need to know that we really do serve a God that loves us and a God that hears and answers our prayer and that we do have a desire as, as parents to walk with God. Children, we want to see you recognize not only that Christ wants to be your Savior, but He wants to be the Lord of your life. He wants you to walk with Him and fellowship with Him and serve Him. And, oh, the best life. Listen, the best life is the life that's lived for Jesus. Amen. You'll never be sorry. I've met a lot of people in my life that said, you know, I sure am sorry I didn't get saved sooner than I did. But I've never had anybody come up and say, you know, I'm so sorry I got saved as soon as I did. I've never met somebody that said, I regret becoming a Christian, but I've met a lot of people that said, I regret that I waited so long. Yeah. Listen, what a life. We see Obed-Edom's prosperity and then David's pursuit. When David hears what God's doing, you know the Bible said, draw nigh to God and He'll draw nigh to you. Obed-Edom opens up his home to allow the ark of God to come and all of a sudden the abundant blessings of God are just flowing on his house. What an exciting time. So David's pursuit, as soon as David receives word of everything that God is doing, David gets busy about trying to get the ark back to Jerusalem and uh, he begins to work to get it ready and man, we got to get it back. We've got to have it back. And what David wanted all the way in the beginning was the right thing. He wanted the presence of the ark of God. He wanted the glory of God back in Israel where it belonged. But David finally realized that there had to be a right and a wrong way to approach it. Which takes me to point number two. Obed-Edom's appropriate decision. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 15 if you would. 1 Chronicles chapter 15 1 Chronicles chapter number 15. And uh, let's begin reading in verse number 1. 1 Chronicles 15 and verse number 1. The Bible said, And David made him houses in the city of David. 1 Chronicles 51. And David made him houses in the city of David and prepared a place for the ark of God and pitched for it a tent. Then David said, None ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. For them hath the Lord chosen to carry the ark of God and to minister unto him forever. So David begins to make the effort to get the ark back. We notice David's renewed desire. He starts thinking about what he had originally wanted to do. I, I don't know all the details. David was a fugitive while he was waiting to become king. But perhaps as David knew one day he would be king, he was making a list of things that he wanted to accomplish when he became king. And I think on that list and probably high in priority was as soon as possible, we've got to get the ark back to uh, Israel. We've got to get the ark back where it belongs. Uh, we need to get it back in Jerusalem. And, and so David no doubt has thought about this. Uh, yet when God killed Uzzah, David kind of backed off and, and kind of was puzzled and perplexed and wondered what to do. But now there's a renewed desire to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. But we see David's righteous discernment uh, as we begin to read in verse number 1 and 2. Uh, we see the right place. David prepared a place for the ark of God. You know, we want God to do everything instantly in our life, but we don't want to prepare a place for Him to work. And folks, I want to tell you something. Revival doesn't happen by accident. And I want to say this just to help us understand Revival and evangelism are not the same. 
Evangelism is people getting saved, and that can come as a result of revival. And people can even get saved when we don't really have a full-blown revival. But really, revival has to do with God's people really getting renewed and right with God and letting God work in our hearts and, and really getting where we need to be in our walk with the Lord. And David realizes that uh, he's got to have uh, the ark of God in the right place, so he prepared a place. David got things ready. David had gotten so excited in getting the ark back, he really hadn't thought it through correctly. And by the way, the Bible said, let all things be done decently and in order. Sometimes we're going to find that if we're going to get where we need to be with God, we're going to have to spend some time in prayer. We're going to have to spend some time seeking his face. So we find David had the right place, but then he had the right people. In verse number two, I love this. Then David said, none ought to carry the ark of God but the Levites. David learned his lesson. No more new cart. <laughs> no more oxen moving it. No, no, David said God has a plan. God had already planned for uh, the uh, priests to carry it. And by the way, as they carried it, they were to carry the ark upon their shoulders. You remember the staves that were in the ark of God and those staves were used to carry the ark so that the priests could bear it upon their shoulder. Uh, my good friend in, uh, up in Michigan, Brother Don Green, preached a message years ago on the holier, the harder. And he said, you imagine every time that Moses had them pack up the tabernacle and move further into the wilderness, many of the Levites and their responsibilities, they just had to ride on the wagons and pack everything up. But he said there were some that were required to carry the ark of God. They had to do that by foot. And they had to walk across the desert as it were they had to walk through the wilderness as it were they had to make their journey day by day with the ark of God resting upon their shoulder and you'd say man that would be hard I suppose maybe if they had some Henri uh you know cousins on the wagons they might have said man we get to ride you have to walk but they were carrying the ark of God and you know sometimes folks the closer you get to God Others might think, well, you're just too carried away. You're too serious about your Christian life. You're too, you know, you're too caught up in trying to live for God. But I want to tell you something, the closer you get to Him, the sweeter His presence is and the things that you enjoy that the, listen, the mediocre Christian will never understand what you can enjoy when you get where you ought to be with God. So we find here that he has the right people and then the right preparation. You go on down and he's given these assignments. In verse number 12, the Bible said that David said unto them, or he said unto them, Ye are the chief of the fathers of the Levites. Sanctify yourselves, both ye and your brethren, that ye may bring up the ark of the Lord God of Israel and place uh, upon the place that I have prepared for it. David said, Now, fellas, you are the right people. We have the right plan. you got to put it on your shoulder. But David said, I want you to understand, you have got to make the right preparation. Sanctify yourself. You know, meetings like this are good for us to do spiritual inventory. Now, folks, listen, I'm, I'm not unkind tonight. I hope you know this. This is Sunday night, and you're in the house of God, and I commend you for that. And we're going to have a revival meeting through Wednesday night. And I'm confident many of you, if not most of you, perhaps all of you, will be here nightly for the meeting. I understand we want God to do something in our life. But you know, sometimes we want God to send revival, but we don't want to go through the preparation. We don't want to go through the personal uh, inventory. We don't want to ask ourselves the question, 
How's my walk with God? How's my prayer life? How's my Bible reading life? How's my witnessing life? How is my, how is my personal walk with God? Sometimes we have to really inventory and allow God to do a work to sanctify, as it were, to cleanse us, to set us apart, to get some things out of the way. Listen, to bring back to the place where He is preeminent in our life. To my knowledge, there's only three times the word preeminence is used in the Word of God. One of those is in Ecclesiastes. One is in the book of Colossians. One is in one of uh, John's little epistles, 3 John. And he said there was a man in the church there named Diophtrasis that desired to have the preeminence. And in Colossians it says this concerning Christ, that in all things he may have the preeminence. So the only one that has the right to preeminence in the house of God and the only one that has the right to preeminence in your home and mine and in your life and mine is the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet, John had to rebuke a man by the name of Diophtrasis that was creating trouble in the church because he wanted the place that belonged to the Lord Jesus Christ. Could I just remind you that it ought to be our driving desire to let Him have first place in our heart and life. That in all things... He might have the preeminence. Not my will but thine be done. And so we find as David gives them the right plan in verse 15. The children of Levi are to bear the ark of God. David said for uh, be, because ye did it not at the first. The Lord our God made a breach upon us for that we sought him not after the due order. David said we got it all wrong. We did it our own way. We made our own plan. And I'm telling you, if we're going to have revival, we've got to do it God's way. It's not what I want. It's what he wants that matters most. You know, the preacher said it right. God uses men and we're thankful for that. But it's not like you carry revival around in your hip pocket or in your briefcase. And when I'm gone from here, you may never remember my name, and that's okay. But if before this week is over, you find yourself drawn closer to the one that loved you and gave himself for you, that's really all that matters. And if you don't know him and he becomes your personal savior, oh, listen, that's all that matters. If you get to know him, what a difference it makes. And so Obed-Edom's appropriate decision as David, of course, makes all these preparations, his renewed desire, and we saw David's righteous discernment as he said, we're going to do this thing the right way. But then Obed-Edom's reasonable devotion, the Bible tells us that Obed-Edom went with him. He stayed with the ark. Man, God had blessed his home. Look at verse 24 of this same chapter. And Shebaniah, and Jehoshaphat, and Nethaniel, and Amasiah, and Zechariah, and Beniah, and Eliezer, uh, the priest, did blow with the trumpets before the ark of God. And listen, and Obed-Edom and Jehiah were doorkeepers for the ark. So David and the elders of Israel and the captains over thousands went to bring up the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the house of Obed-Edom with joy. It was a happy time. It was an exciting time. Man, they're rejoicing. The ark of God is coming. It's coming God's way to be in God's place. But I can see Obed-Edom as he say, whoa, whoa, wait. If you're going to take the ark, I'm going with you. Now I know he was a Levite and no doubt he had responsibilities. But I just think it's exciting that he recognized what made a difference in his home was the presence 
presence of God. And he said, wherever that's at, that's where I want to be. Wherever God's working, that's where I want to be. Whatever God has for my family, He's been so good to us, I want to be there. Listen, friend, Obed-Edom gets pretty excited as he thinks about what God had done in his home. And so when David left with the ark of God, here goes Obed-Edom behind uh, to follow him, which leads me to big point number three. Now that's my last one. Somebody say amen. That always makes a Baptist happy. If they know how many big points you got. And notice, if you will, not only his amazing discovery and his appropriate decision to go with the ark, but notice Obed-Edom's abundant dividends. You know, all the benefits of being a Christian and all the benefits of serving the Lord don't necessarily all culminate in one day. But I will tell you this, God is debtor to no man. You put the Lord first. You serve Him with all your heart. You you say, well, Brother Graham, I know people that have served the Lord and boy, they've had troubles and they've had trials. I want to tell you something. Without a doubt, the Christian life is the greatest life there is to live. Even with burdens and battles and heartaches and tears and trials, I'm telling you right now, I'd rather have Jesus, the songwriter said, than silver or gold. I'd rather be His than have riches untold. I'm telling you, there's nothing like knowing the Lord. I've stood by the bed of so many, like I did my dad and others that went to be with the Lord. Stood by my mother when she went to be with the Lord. And many other loved ones and family members. And can I tell you something? It makes a difference when you know the Lord. When my brother was killed in 1981... We went to the hospital, and I can remember my dad standing there as I got to the hospital. They'd already pronounced him dead. Jeff was laying there in the, uh, in the room, and there were many, many workers there. Many people from our church began to pour in. And I watched as my dad is witnessing the people that worked there and telling them, this is our son, and told his testimony and how he'd gotten saved and what God had done in his life. And even though our hearts were broken, he found in a way to tell them, listen, What this young man had is better than if he'd lived a hundred years and never knew Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you, there's no life like knowing the Savior. Go to 1 Chronicles chapter 26, if you would, and we'll show you what I'm talking about. 1 Chronicles chapter 26, verse number 4. 1 Chronicles chapter 26, verse number 4. And we notice here, and I mentioned Obed-Edom. Verse 4 says, Moreover, the sons of Obed-Edom were Shemaiah the firstborn, Jehozabad the second, Joah the third, and Sekar the fourth, and Nethaniel the fifth, Amiel the sixth, Issachar the seventh, Peluthia the eighth, for God blessed him. He had eight sons. What a blessing. And unto Shemaiah his sons were uh, sons born that ruled throughout the house of their father, for they were mighty men of valor. And he goes on and mentions the sons of Shemaiah and uh, Othni and Rephael and uh, Obed and Elzabad, uh, whose brethren were strong men, Elihu and uh, Semachiah, and all these of the sons of Obed-Edom. And the Bible said, they and their sons and their brethren, able men, for strength for the service were threescore and two of Obed-Edom. If you would notice his responsibilities, Obed-Edom was called a porter or a doorkeeper for the ark of God. Now you might consider that somewhat of a menial task, but I'm reminded what the psalmist said 
in Psalm 84 and verse 10, for a day in thy courts is better than a thousand. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of, the, of wickedness. Can I tell you something? Whatever place God allows you to serve Him, it's a marvelous place to be. Whether God's called you into the ministry, maybe as a pastor, associate pastor, maybe God's put you in the ministry to, uh, to be a missionary, maybe God has not given you what we consider a calling, a full-time ministry, but God has given all of us a commandment of faithfulness to serve Him. And you know, there's nothing more exciting than being in your place. I went through a little bump in my life as a 12-year-old boy. I already told you I knew the Lord was real. My mom and dad had a wonderful walk with the Lord. But you know, when I was 12 years of age, there was a man in the church where my dad pastored that really, to be honest with you, preacher, he got out of sorts. He was causing some trouble. Now, he was very careful about it. He was the kind of man that would shake the preacher's hand and say, that was great preaching, pastor. Thank you for that message. And then go around the corner and begin to belittle and undermine and attack the man of God. As a 12-year-old boy, I started seeing that, and I'll be honest with you, it captured my attention. I began to let it build a root of bitterness in my life. My dad was pastoring a growing, thriving church at that time. And I went to my dad, in fact, as I went to his office, sat down with him, and, and I said to him a couple of things. I said, Dad, I just want you to know, I would never be a preacher. He said, why would you say that? I said, well, man, you're killing yourself. And these people don't appreciate you. And I began to finally tell him what I came to talk about. You know, brother so-and-so. And I started pointing out all of that guy's faults and failures. And my dad said, son, you're seeing him at his worst. But when he gets right with God, you're going to see what God's going to do in his life. He hasn't always been backslidden, and he won't always stay backslidden. I said, but dad, how can you stand it? I can't stand the guy. And dad said, no, 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 no. You're looking at it all wrong. And then my dad began to weep. And he said, these are the sheep that God has given me to pastor. And I love them. I said, you love that guy? He said, I really do. And he said, trust me, son. I know it's hard to see, but God's going to do a great work in his life. And then my dad said this, in the meantime, while you're waiting for God to work in his life, get your eyes off of him and forget about him. Then my dad said, what do you think about Ramey French? I said, well, Dad, Ramey French is a great guy. I said, I didn't come talk about Ramey French. I came talk about this other guy. Dad said, well, what do you think about Ramey French? I said, Dad, Ramey French, man, that guy's the real deal. When my dad became pastor of the church, Ramey French said to my dad, Pastor Graham, I know sometimes preachers get called out in the middle of the night. I just want you to know if that ever happens, I'm available to go with you. And he meant that, and he did that. Brother Graham, if I can ever be a help, he was a wonderful, godly deacon in our church. That summer, he happened to volunteer to be our, our camp counselor. God bless any man that's camp counselor for 12-year-old boys. Anyway, we were walking along one day, as little boys will do, some 11, some 12, telling corny jokes. I mean, they weren't even funny, but we're laughing and laughing and Brother Ramey told a joke and Pastor, honestly, to this day, I don't remember the joke. It wasn't off color. It wasn't shady. It was not one thing that I can remember that would have been any way been a detriment. We're walking along and all of a sudden, Ramey French puts his arms out like this and said, stop right there, boys. I've just grieved the Holy Spirit of God. I shouldn't have told that joke. And I need to ask you boys to forgive me. And we're all like, what? Huh? Would you boys forgive me? 
I shouldn't have told that joke. Now to us, it was a silly joke. I don't even remember what it was, but we didn't think it was wicked or vulgar or anything like that. But it bothered him, so we said, absolutely, we'll forgive you. And he said, now let me talk to the Lord. And he prayed out loud. He said, dear Lord, that joke that I told disappointed you. I felt it in my spirit. I've asked the boys to forgive me, and they said they have. And now I want to ask you to forgive me because I don't want anything to interfere with my walk with you. And I said to myself, man, this guy really knows God. And that summer I gave my heart to Jesus Christ. I had the privilege of writing a poem called The Influence of One Man. I was able to present it to him and read it in his home church on his 80th birthday. But can I tell you something? Not only did Ramey French influence my life, but the man that had given my dad so much trouble. We were having a revival at our church sometime later, and in the middle of the night, his wife called my dad and said, you've got to come to the house. My husband, I think he's having a breakdown. Long story short, he began to weep and told the preacher, my dad and the evangelist, I, I need to get right with God. I've been a hypocrite. I've been phony. He began to cry. He was a saved man. But he'd gotten backslidden. He said, I've allowed the devil to use me and I, I want to ask God to forgive me. And by the way, he became as what my dad said he would be, a great man for God once he got right with God. I'm just simply saying, listen, we need to recognize that revival means a willingness to look down into the very depths of our soul and make sure we're right with God. Obed-Edom saw God's blessing on his life, his responsibility as a porter. It doesn't matter, folks. You might think what you do is not a big deal, but somebody's being helped by your life. You greeters that greet people when they come in, you'll never know what that means to a visitor. Did you know everybody expects the pastor to be nice? Everybody comes to church to visit for the first time. They hope the pastor will say, we're glad you're here. But did you know it speaks volumes when you say we're glad you're here? But notice his rich blessings. The Bible said that the descendants of Obed-Edom were 62 in number that were serving the Lord. Imagine that. 62 family members serving the Lord. How exciting is that? It said 62. There are three score and two that are serving the Lord mentioned in this segment here that Obed-Edom's family, it did not just impact his life, but his children. John said it like this. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Listen, when my Life is over. One thing that I long for is that my children, my grandchildren, and if I live long enough, my great-grandchildren will know that God was real in Grandpa and Dad's life and that they'll want to serve the God that I've served because He's real and because He's a difference maker. And Obed-Edom said, Lord, you were good when you were at my house. I just want to be wherever you're at. And Obed-Edom served the Lord. And what a lineage, what a heritage that he left behind. Let me ask you a question tonight. Do you know the Lord is your Savior? If not, this would be a good night to get that settled. But if you're saved tonight, listen folks, is your Christian life where it needs to be? And if not, why not allow the Holy Spirit to fine tune it? And let's make a difference in this generation. We're all upset about the craziness of our world. But I'm telling you, child of God, if we get to focusing on our walk with God, we can make a difference in these last days. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we love you. Thank you for the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit and the privilege we have of looking in your book and seeing men like Obed-Edom who saw the difference that your presence made in their heart, in their home, and Lord, the difference it made in the house of God. I pray, Father, that we would also recognize how important your presence and your power is. 
Lord, our nation is in so much trouble I can't even begin to describe. Lord, our society is so confused and so many troublesome things. Lord, young people today are battling with things, Lord, that were only talked about very briefly in my childhood. And now, Lord, it is rampant around us. But God, you're still on the throne. And may we get our focus on you. And like Isaiah of old, see the Lord high and lifted up. I just cry out in this prayer, Lord, revive us again. And let it begin right here in our hearts, in our homes, here in the house of God. In Jesus' name we pray.